Hello, All-Star listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Veterinary Roundtable presented by All-Star Veterinary Clinic, the podcast where we answer your veterinary-related questions while having some fun along the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice, and if you have any feedback to offer to improve the Veterinary Roundtable, let us know. Please write a review. It definitely helps, um, and the reviews on, if you can write them on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, they help boost us in the algorithm. So any reviews, we love them. Let us have them. Good, bad, whatever. 65 Spotify reviews. Okay, that's good. That's a, that's a good number. I that's like a it. good number. Yeah. All right. Let's see if we can hit 100. Also, we need to promote Chowder Crawl to Cold. It's a book that our own Kristen Pulse, DVM, one of the veterinarians here at All Star Veterinary Clinic, wrote Chowder Crawl to Cold. And one of our registered technicians actually did all the illustrations. And it's really cute. It's really clever. So check it out. There they are. The working duo. <laughs> Okay. You can find it on Amazon. So go grab yourself a copy and read away. There will be new adventures for Chowder. It's a good book. Soon. So, yeah. Very cool. All right. You're up, Faust. You're doing introductions. What? <laughs> I thought you already... I knew that was going to cut you off. I thought guard. you already introduced us. Oh, okay, my gosh. I missed that. Okay. On today's episode, we have myself... Dr. Emily King. No, I was Faust. No. Oh, I thought I was introducing everyone. Bless. <laughs> this is the best introduction ever. I, yep. This might this be my new me. favorite. I think it is. This is Faust. There this we go. Is, yeah. Yes, this is me. Faust. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, room assistant, Becca. Uh, registered vet tech, Elise. And my co-host, Dr. Emily King. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Did it. How's everybody doing with the Tuesday after a holiday? Well, I got here like 20 minutes ago and surprise I'm on the podcast, so it's going great. Okay, good. good My good. brain feels like scrambled eggs just a little bit, so, but we're okay. chugging along. Chugging along. There's good and bad things, right, about having Monday holiday. The good thing is there's only four days in the week. The bad thing is there's only four th- days in the week. <laughs> it all gets squeezed into four days, I feel like. McDivitt brought cookies. So oh, like that makes everything better. Ooh. Cookies for breakfast. Yes, that is. I what mean, I had we breakfast. are adults and eat normal breakfast, right? No. no. Well, I had my normal <laughs> breakfast, but then you walk in and see cookies, and you're gonna have that too. So it's that's double fair. breakfast. She literally walked in the door, and I was like, "Cookies." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's that's the way to Elisa's yes. heart. Chocolate, chocolate, and cookies. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And wine. And wine. Yeah, yeah. And wine. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. All right, icebreakers for today. What show on Netflix did you binge watch embarrassingly fast? Please. Um, this show is not on Netflix. Okay. But it's on Discovery Plus. And now I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's a show about um, extinct animals. And this um, one specific biologist, I guess he's a biologist, Forrest Galante. I don't know if that's how you say his name. But he like picks us uh, an extinct species. Harrison, help us out with the name tries to see if they're truly extinct or like there's some rumors that they're like still within the area so he goes to that area and there are some that he did find like there is a tortoise that he did find that they thought was extinct and he found the tortoise and i binge watched it like within a week it was super interesting super interesting and then i had all these facts and i came to work with all these facts and people were probably really annoyed that i kept talking about all these facts of these extinct animals (laughs) some of them are no longer extinct okay that tortoise was found 
that's fascinating. But oh, yeah, I did. I watched Elise it really fast. Has the best so does dogs. it go from the extinct list to the endangered list? Is yeah. that how it goes? Yeah. And there was like evidence of like a panther that he found, but like there was one turtle. Like he actually picked up the tortoise and was like, this is the tortoise. <laughs> did he say it like that? Yeah, he did. <laughs> He did. I think I'm going to need to watch this. Now your greasy hands are all over now, Yeah, exactly. Now he's going to die. Well, I learned. <laughs> I actually learned it was a female. And apparently in tortoises, everything is very slow. And if they made it like years and years ago, sperm can still be viable. No huh. way. Yeah. And it was like, and she was an unhealthy weight. So if you like, um, they're going to rehabilitate her and rehabilitate her back to a healthy weight. And if she's healthy, then the sperm can do its job. Wow. I thought that was really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it is called that. Extinct or alive. Oh, that sounds very interesting. May have to look that one up. I know, me I'm too. Intrigued. I got Discovery Plus specifically for that. I'm intrigued show. too because I I I wondered often if if they list things as extinct but they really aren't. Like if there's financial stuff involved, like well, some of them like they live in so like desolate and remote areas that like not many people venture, and so I think the extinct list is like based on like the last time that they were seen. Okay, and so like if there's not so many like um sightings, yeah, sightings within so many years, they kind of like assume and like there's things like deforestation in the rainforest and such, and so they're kind of like, well, we haven't seen these, we have no, there's also no proof, like they have, there's no other proof, so they kind of deem. Them them extinct so some things are extinct that may still be out there or they're really good at hiding book of knowledge thanks i was just thinking that i'm like why have we not had these interesting conversations before because we don't have one minute in the day exactly (laughs) that's why to talk about fun things like multiple times elise has come bopping around the corner goes did you know and i love it it's one of my favorite parts of the day like just don't leave me out i know a lot of things a lot of weird things just saying She's definitely who I'm picking for Trivial Pursuit next game. Mm. The game's hard. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I love trivia. That's what I do on my weekends. We go to the bar, we go to trivia. Oh my gosh. So I yeah, I do need it. a lease for the animal facts, is what I need. All right. Your show, Becca. What do you think? So I've done I've done it a couple times with shows because I will hyper fixate on something. But one of the most recent was Yellowstone. Mm. I was watching it. And the next thing I knew, it was like four in the morning and I was like a season and a half down. No idea what happened. <laughs> and then my brain switched off. It was like, OK, we're done with the show. So I've been struggling to get back into it because I'm not completely done. But I'll do that. I will hyper fixate on a show. And the next thing I know, I'm like, what time is it? What year is it? What has happened? So Yellowstone, I've done that too. Um, there are a couple like I was watching Ghost Adventures last night. And I think I watched about four episodes without realizing I'd watched four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. But in any of those like crime, mystery, things like that, the paranormal stuff, you can suck me in real fast with any of those. Thanks. So I got it. Faust won't come over to binge no. watch those with me. Nope. Never. So <laughs> since you live in silence, do you watch? Do you binge watch? <laughs> <laughs> no, Tommy and I watch a couple of shows a day. And recently the binging is uh, Heartland. Oh, yes. I binge watch Heartland too. Season eight. 18. <laughs> as of, I know, right? As of last night, season eight. And uh, yeah, that, that's been the only show we have watched since we started it, and I yeah. don't remember when we started it. So. That's so funny. I, it's I, giving me a better appreciation for horses because I know I I'm super scared and don't like them. And so now I'm like, 
they're kind of pretty. Well, when you have that land like that in Canada and it's like they can run, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, they're. They are kind of like the cats of our world. I know, like all the behavior stuff in that show. I was like, fantastic. Yes. And I'm just like thinking of like, that's, you know, like with the cats. Yeah. And dogs the same, but yeah. Yep. 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 I liked that one. I I would say the one that embarrassingly fast I watched was called The Hundred and it was horrible, but I just couldn't stop watching it. It was the sci-fi about kids who got dropped on a. Oh, I heard that's bad. Yeah, like in an in an island, they got dropped, or or the spaceship is gonna. I don't know something. Oh, I know. And then which they one get they send about. all their kids down to see if Earth is still viable or it's something. Like an older show, it like, right? Yeah, it's. I think it came out when I was in high school or yeah. in college. But yeah, it's yeah. like the Earth. There was like a nuclear war or something, so they had taken a few of them on. I think they called it like the Ark or something. Yes, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then yeah. the Ark was running out of oxygen, so they took all the kids that had ever been in trouble and like were in. Solitary, whatever. I just like drop, drop them, them down to see the if ground. they could they exist. Like, yeah, they're like, here you go. Here's our experiment. We're just gonna release our children to the wild and hope they don't die. Is basically. Yep. But I feel like it went on for a little bit longer than it should. Yep. And I, I watched bits and pieces throughout the years as it continued yeah. on, and I was like, what is happening at this point? But it's based on a book series, if I remember oh, it is. correctly. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if the book series is any different than the show, but I do remember at least seeing part of that yep i remember staying up way too late watching that and i was like that was really pointless you like have to know like when you when you start like you have to finish sometimes i know it no. is because then it does bug no. you. It, it doesn't matter how oh, like, I this do. is a waste of my life click and yet, well no, there are some shows like that where wreck. i've been like no yeah yeah no you just get sucked into the train wreck of what these things are i mean i watched 15 seasons of supernatural and there were some really sketchy seasons in the middle. When I say I watched 15 seasons, I mean for like 15 years. Like I started it yeah. right. when it came out when I was Unlike me, I'm on season eight of Heartland and it has not been eight years. Right. Yeah. I think we just started it a month no, or two yeah, ago. No, that was a, I watched it from, you know, the start all the way through the finish. And there were a couple times in the middle where I really kind of questioned my life as to whether I should continue the show because it got a little iffy. And then it would suck you back in. And it was like every time I was about to be done, something would happen. Hmm. I was like, dang it. Now I got to finish this season. What am I going to do? But some of them will do that. But there are others that you watch a couple episodes and you're like, well, never getting that back. I did do that with The Walking Dead. Like I gave up on that like after yeah, years. Yeah, I did too. I gave up My on dad Dead. watched the entire thing for the whole year. Like every year it was on. He watched it forever. It was on for like 10 years. Yeah. Isn't mm. it still on? No, it's over now. Now they have a new thing. Oh, I think they've got like two or three spinoffs. I don't know. I think I watched two seasons of The Walking Dead before I was done. Good for him. He stuck with it. I'm... All right. Aliens have landed on Earth and have claimed one of your team members as their spy. You're not surprised at all. Who is it? Becca, you can go on this one. Oh, that's hard. I I might have to say Schmoke. And I think it's because oh. she's so sweet. <laughs> they would talk her into it and she may not realize that that's what happened. She may just be thinking she's telling stories about all of us and, you know, being nice. But I think it would be Schmoke. Interesting choice. I'm going to go with Abby. I would have picked Abby, too. I picked Abby, too. Yeah. I was just like. Well, use it on your team. She probably is already doing it. I know, right? (laughs) I did, too. I thought it meant like yours. Yeah, you said, too. But if this opens up the catalyst, maybe Sam. Okay. I could could see Sam maybe helping some aliens out. Okay. I know. If we're opening it up, I might be able to see Kelly. No, oh, Kelly, Wall? Kelly I, would be like, 
Uh, no, go away. Bye. See, I think that if I think if it would get them off of her back, <laughs> that if she was like, listen, I'll tell you whatever you want as long as you just leave me alone, like leave right. me alone over here by myself. I think I could see it potentially happening, but that would have to be the caveat to that of like, leave me alone. I will tell you what you want, but as soon as you come at me, we're done. <laughs> Interesting question, Harrison. All right, cases. What you guys have, Elise? I don't have like a one specific case. Okay. But Cloud and I were talking recently because we have seen so many blocked cats recently, like just in like the last couple of weeks. And she was talking and she was like, man, like I wonder if like it's like the weather or something because when it got warm out, like all these cats just blocked. And she was like, I wonder if like they're frustrated because they see birds outside or something. Like something's causing the them stress. to be like blocked or stressed. And she was like, Todd has also had a lot of blocked cats. Because I was like, well, you know, we always see weird stuff here. And she was like, no, Todd has also had a lot of blocked cats. So I actually looked into it. Okay, tell and us what they you found out. have done studies on that in um and it's weird because it it happens like mostly in the northeastern states kind of like midwest northeastern but not in the northwest but as it starts to get warmer one study said like april to may and one said like march to may they did have an increase in blocked cats and so like they don't really like they still said like we don't know 100% like why cats blocked but we know like it has something to do with like their um like stress and sometimes like water intake and food and all these things and they're like but when it does get warmer they see more blocked cats that's fascinating and they they don't know if it's a climate thing they don't know if it's like days getting longer um, they don't know why it happens in like these parts of the states, but not the other part, like not the like Northwestern, the cases were much lower. But yeah, when it gets warm out, like in the springtime, cats block. We're going to have to remember this next huh. year when May comes around, April mm. and May, and we'll have yeah. to be like- Start testing and see. Like see if we actually see another, you know, there's enough like an, cat in, patients now maybe that you might see those types of trends. I mean, the herpes flare trends, definitely seasonal, but- I don't know. I just always think stress. Yeah. Maybe so, owners aren't around as much. Maybe like, maybe like the stress of the, because they're and, out and about mm. doing things with the weather, mm. and, you know, maybe is, or yeah. I don't know. There's just so many variables. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Spring cleaning. And there was like one weird article that like talked about like, cause they said like a lot of like blocked, like blocked male cats are like neutered and overweight. And it had something to do with like, like an adrenal gland or something because they were neutered. It was a really weird, that was an art, mm. a weirder article that I read about it, but they, but a lot of them was like, yeah, we see instances of when it turns spring, they get blocked. Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating. It's really weird. That's a really cool, like, case thing that you just talked about. Yeah, when neat. she talked about it, I was like, man, like, it has, like, as soon as it got warm, like, so many cats blocked. So I was like, I'm just going to look into it and yeah. see. And there are a couple of studies on it, like some um, universities did some studies. Very cool. Fausti, what do you have? Um, not really anything interesting. I think the most frustrating one recently um, was Jethro that mm. we did the second uh, Stelfonta injection into his mast cell tumor and zero response. Really? Yeah. We just talked about Stelfonta in the last podcast, I think. Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, McDivitt was talking about it or somebody was talking. I don't remember what we were talking about, but – and so you, the first injection, nothing. Yeah, like he responds for 
12 to 24 hours. So like right after the injection, you know, it blows up. You see that it's doing its thing. He gets sore, super swollen. Um, and then with I think the first time after like day two or three, it went down to nothing, you know, super tiny, um, but then never changed from there. So like it never, it just stayed like the, how the growth was before we injected. So then the second injection, it was the exact same thing. Like he, you know, reacts while he's in the clinic on day one of the injection and then it goes right back to normal. So it was just the small percentage that don't yeah, I was going to say, well, I know there's a small percent that don't. Yeah. Is it smaller now though where you could surgically remove it? No, it's no different than oh, okay. what it was then, okay. but it's right on the hock to where like you would just never get margins. Um, she did go back home for, um, I think, a vacation and her um, her uncle's a vet. So they did surgically remove it knowing that, that yeah, they, just, to get- just to get it off when it was tinier. Um, but yeah, I think it's like 75% is good to go into remission after first injection and then 85% after the second injection. So it's just that he's just in the small, yeah. yeah. But to just not have any reaction, like I couldn't find any data on that. Um, and I reached out to the rep and um, they said there should at least be some minimal draining. The first injection, he had like a pinpoint spot of drainage I think at day like seven, but it it was so minimal it did nothing. And then the second injection, he had no drainage. Fascinating. So yeah, that was just super frustrating. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting case. Okay, mm-hmm. I wonder are they sending it in for histopathology? Yeah. Okay, because that'll be interesting to yeah, see. Yeah. So I hadn't I didn't know that they had removed because it was like day twenty of the second injection that they jumped in with surgery, mm-hmm. and I was like, whoa, like um, that is still in the tissues. I'm yeah. like, you need to let the pathologist know and all that stuff. Um, there may be issues with healing. Let's remove the sutures like way you know later than yeah. day ten. <laughs> um, so I don't know. We're still. I think we're coming up on day fourteen. Um, I don't know if they got results back yet. It just happened. But, um, yeah, I'd be curious to see if it's a high grade um, that just wasn't, you know, because those aren't typically responsive. But what were we going to do anyway? Right. Um, so we had decided with the owner to give it a go. And then, of course, that was the case that didn't. Yeah. Interesting. Didn't do anything. So, yeah. Becca, what do you have? Since you were thrown into the podcast, do you have a case? Um, Kind of. So... We so serious, my dog. He had a dental with Dr. Cloud. It's been two weeks, three weeks ago now. And he's had a couple interesting things since. So, kind of a PSA of keeping an eye. Um, so first is when she actually had him under. We always do the full course, we do the full radiographs on his mouth. And she came around the corner and she goes, So I have something for you. And I was like, Oh no, what did he do? <laughs> so apparently he's got weird pockets in his teeth. So his upper, I believe she said it was his upper molars, like in the back. Um, he has these empty pockets above them. So she doesn't know if he has like a double abscess on both sides or if he's just weird. And that was her specific phrasing. She goes, I don't know if he's just weird or if there's something else going on. So she's like, for now, we're going to monitor him because he's eating fine. He's not dropping his food. There's no facial swelling, which would be signs of an infection going on up in those areas. 
Um, but for now, he's fine. So the plan he's is... He's a husky cross, right? He's, I believe he's a husky shepherd mix. He's kind of a mutt, but that's the general idea of what we have for him. Was this yeah. his first dental? His first dental. So he's mm-hmm. three and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just had a little bit of extra tartar on the back. So we were like, okay, just go ahead, do it. Let's just clean him up. Um, so the plan is to recheck him in about six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Make sure that he doesn't need to actually have them removed. Mm-hmm. Um But then because nothing is easy with that dog. You guys have all met him. Nothing is easy. (laughs) He has been looking at the place where we shaved his cat. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's something that if you do have a dog that has a surgery site that we have shaved the hair, um, even if we shave it just because we're cleaning up a hot spot or something, you have to be very, very careful because they will look at it. He is very itchy. So he's been in a cone for about a week and a half now. And it will be on for the future for quite a while because every time it starts to come off he's looking at it again Mm -hmm. so the spot is red it's irritated he hates his life every time he sees me come with that cone Uh he's like poor again really oh yeah he doesn't know how to do anything in it he can't eat he can't go outside to go to the bathroom he just freezes so i have to take the entire cone off to get him outside but it's kind of do a donut or is he just lift up and over he'll lift up and over he's too smart for his own good he's got long legs he's Mm -hmm. long yeah he's such a long skinny kid that he can get to it but um so it's kind of one of those just keeping an eye on your pets after they do any sort of surgery even if it's something as simple as a dental where you're like oh everything will be fine nope he's just licking and licking and that spot is just irritated from all the fur growing back from where we had to shave him that you know we're using like gen one spray on it because he's not full infection there was some little bit of infection but nothing super bad so no oral meds at this point but it's just a matter of keeping an eye on him so that would be kind of my thing is just anytime you bring them in for anything, keep an eye out afterwards because you can always find those random things that'll pop up once we do surgery or something, whether it's a hot spot from shaving. Um, some people end up with, you know, infected suture sites, things like that. So it really is just keeping a close eye on your pets anytime we do anything for them. Yeah. You should try fovea on them on that spot. Yeah. You would not be able to hold him still to do it. We would have to sedate him because you can't, he doesn't like his feet touched. And it's right there on his arm, so you would probably have to sedate him. Sedate I see where he is. He's naughty. He's a pain. He has such a rough life. <laughs> I, oh, yes. Let me tell you, all of the treats and everything else, uh, my mother came down to visit specifically to bring me his bark box and things that she bought for him at the farmer's market. He lives a rough life. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> well, my case is a, I think he was seven-year-old, actually, block cat that came in and um, was an interesting case just because... He was blocked initially, and then um, we unblocked him, but could not resolve the debris that was in his bladder that resulted in him being blocked. So he actually had a cystotomy and then suffered from complications related to the cystotomy. And the end result, it's just an interesting case to me because um, he, the most likely scenario, well, we used... um, Nasita on his sub-Q space as a pain control post-operatively. And um, we think he had a reaction to the Nasita. And his owner was like, yeah, he has reactions to everything. It was like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe that was part of the the issue. But interestingly enough, so we had this reaction to Nasita. He had um, a hydronephrotic right kidney. And when we first started working through him after the compli- after surgery with these complications, we assumed that the kidney was hydronephrotic right then, like right after the surgery. But I think what really happened was he was he had a right hydronephrotic kidney before. Wait a minute, surgery. who is this? It was Leo. Yeah, yeah, the Leo cat. Oh. Yeah. So I think when I put it all together, 
What I think happened is he has a right hydronephrotic kidney that was there from being blocked before, even before we even saw him a month or month and a half ago from his first, from that blocked episode previously. So you, because we didn't ultrasound his kidneys, we ultrasound his bladder, but not his kidneys. So my thought was, okay, he has this hydronephrotic kidney with retained urine that's sitting there. He has a reaction to Noceta and ends up with a secondary infection as a, as a complication to the reaction to Noceta. He has retained urine in his right kidney, which is then a place for that bacteria to go and cause trouble. He has then developed severe pyelonephritis postoperatively. And so like so severe that he suffers from acute kidney damage and has required like a lot of intensive care. But he is – so then what we ended up doing was going back in, freshening his his tissue margins um, and removing the affected tissue from the noceta, but then removing his right kidney because we were too – Afraid to leave it in place, even though typically we won't remove hydronephrotic kidneys because we thought this might be the story that was happening. We did not want to come back around and have it happen again. So, and his kidney function is now all the way back to normal. So he was a cat that had like unreadable creatinine, unreadable BUN, unreadable potassium, unreadable phosphorus. And now with a neutrophilia with bands and now is reversed and is completely normal. And it was required like severe intensive care to get to that place, but now is doing really well. So cool. Yeah. Did he do well over the weekend? He did well over the weekend. He um is starting to eat on his own. That's our biggest thing right now, is like getting because he spent probably five days, six days not eating. And so now just like getting him turned back on to eating. His lab panel's normal. So he should and he ate kibble periodically through the weekend. Does he still have his, his tube in? He has his esophagostomy tube in. So that's one of the things that we've started doing um, is in these cats that are severely ill, um, you can't really force feed them. It's really hard on them and it's hard on the owners. It's hard on the veterinary staff. So we've decided to start putting in preemptively esophagostomy tubes, which allow us to deliver medications and food. So calories to these cats, which makes it way easier for them, I think, when you're treating them. While under for the procedure. While under for the procedure. Yeah. So, yeah, so we automatically just put one in, whether – especially in these cases where they haven't been eating prior to the procedure, we definitely put it in. If we anticipate that we may have them and they're not eating post-op or not going to eat post-operatively – because you can pull it you, super – you know, if you don't need it, you don't need it. But it's so much easier to have it, you know, um, to deliver meds. It's just such a – better hospital experience it was don't you think yeah for the it cat? was so I mean, easy to to feed him and give him because i watched him that sunday mm-hmm. and you know you're just here by yourself and like normally he is not super big fans of us right and so he was getting a little spicy that sunday yeah. but so like you know when he's not super he wasn't as spicy as normally is but you know just hold a syringe right over here so he can't get you and it's super easy to give him his gabapentin (laughs) that way and yeah and so it it was a lot easier and i think so much less stressful for his care oh yeah absolutely i know everybody was excited when he got to go home last week because we'd all been kind of you know keeping an eye on him seeing what's going on keeping up with the case and i know everybody was excited when we're like oh yeah there's been a lot of people involved in his care so Mm -hmm. it's you know yeah it's been pretty emotional, emotional mm-hmm. roller coaster. But yeah. So we'll give you an update once we see him back again this week. But so far, so good. 
All right. On to listener questions. Hi, I love your podcast. I'm a veterinary technician from California, and I wanted your input on FIP virus. Oh, California. In cats. <laughs> if you can feature this in your podcast, it'd be super useful. Thank you. At Jennifer dot underscore. I did that right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have a second question, which we'll combine with the first question. Do we have alternative therapy for FIP in cats? And is there any safe vaccine for it? FIP cases seem to be emerging in my country and current therapy with antiviral GS-441542 is quite expensive. And that is from Dash at Alpha Rain 99. All right, Faust. Hit us. What'd you got? I don't know what input she's won, but FIP just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bottom line. Until there, they is there can... a different acronym for FIP? I mean, I know what it stands for, obviously, but because it sucks, has anybody created like, you know, an ADR version or send it to Jesus, an STJ, you know, you know what I mean? Like an FIP version of what that stands for. We'll have to start brainstorming. Yeah, we'll have to think of that. They just got the FIP. They got the FIP. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, well, wh for the listeners, why don't we describe kind of what FIP is? Well, you got your dry and your wet version. Okay. And, oh, people aren't going to like to hear this, but it's like a mutation of a coronavirus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which I think might freak people out, but people can't get it's it. It's not that kind of coronavirus. Yeah, can't get it, can't yeah. get it from your cat. Nope. And it's just a mutation that some cats get, and been around just, forever. I don't even know when. Just the luck I don't of the even draw know when it, yeah. when it came out of nowhere. It, probably a lab experiment. No, probably I'm been, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, has it been your whole career too? Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think they've learned more and more uh, over time. Yeah. So, like when we first started out, it was like, oh, it's so highly infectious, and this and this and this. And then they started realizing over time that. Yeah. Some cats can fight it off and you move on and no big issue. And then you have other cats based on their genetics and, mm -hmm. you know, potentially, you know, they just can't do that. And so then they have trouble with it. Yeah. But um, it'll be great when one day we do have a FDA approved product that that we can use. Yeah. But I think that. Right now, I mean, there's enough information about what coronavirus is or what FIP is, how to try and prevent it in cats. I mean, because there is no treatment. So then trying how to prevent it. And those resources are out there. So I think that would be a great. Now, you live in, this person lives in California. So you were saying that that's kind of the coronavirus FIP capital. Yeah. UC Davis is like the hub of all that research. Um. As far as I know, with the early starts of working on the GS441524, uh, but now they're also working on the GC376, um, which I don't know when, I haven't heard as much about that one to know mm -hmm. when that uh, got tacked on with their research, but um, but it's pretty promising. Um, but yeah, to follow up with the second question, um Nothing is FDA approved in in the United States. Um, so I think people that are asking about it, you know, the there's a lot of different like FIP warriors and some other Facebook and um, groups online that, you know, you can access some of this stuff on the black market. But I think the main concern is um, 
accuracy of the drug concentration and then um, purity. So it's not something that we can recommend at this time. Yeah. And I think just to let everybody know, because I had to do some research on the antivirals. I mean, basically they are, um, they're a nucleoside analog that interferes with viral replication. That's how they work. So, um, it's still experimental. Mm-hmm. Like Faust said. It's legal and- over in the UK and Australia. Um, and I think they're using the injectable version. I read one thing about somebody's trying to come out with an oral, but I don't think that that's the one that's um, approved over there. Right. I think it's still the injectable. We don't have any vaccines. Mm-mm. So we still don't have those you know, to answer that part of the question. So hence why when we opened up the conversation, we said it just sucks because there really is very limited yeah. options that we have. Um, and most to- most of the time we're supportively treating these patients to try and keep them comfortable um, and address some of the secondary issues that they might have related to FIP. Is there an actual test to be able to say, yes, for sure, this is FIP, or is it a process of elimination, if I remember correctly? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because I know we had two kittens. I mean, this was, I mean, early when I was working with you, mm-hmm. that one of them just wasn't thriving. He just wasn't doing well. We could never get him, you know, better. And we did all kinds of blood work. We did x-rays on him. I mean, so many things. Mm-hmm. I think we had finally decided that FIP was his diagnosis. Yeah. And I think he passed either right before or right after his, he would have been six months old. Um, the brother, on the other hand, who was from a different litter, they weren't from the same litter, but they were living in the same household. Totally fine. He's yeah. thriving. He's three or four now. Yep. And doing great. Um, but the other one just, I mean, there was nothing we could do. I know that we had tried B12 injections. We had done. Yeah. He was on steroids things. at that point. And mm-hmm. I mean, he was kind of like a little bit more of a slow progression. So we had some time to um, try a couple different things. Yeah. And- but I mean, it is what it is eventually his body. Yeah, because when he went downhill, he went yeah. down very quickly, unfortunately. Yeah. And I know I came in yep. um, after the weekend and Terry Hindenburg, who does all of our um, euthanasia calls and things like that, had asked me about it. She goes, oh, do they have kids or anything like that? And I looked at it and I go, wait, what? She goes, oh, my goodness, you didn't know that that happened while you weren't here? And I was like, no, because we had been working so closely with them and the family. And I mean, it was heartbreaking because we kind of already knew that there was nothing that we could do, but because of how quickly he went downhill, I think it was kind of a shock for all of us when we did come in because it was a day that we were all off um, to see that they did have to unfortunately euthanize him. But that's always so hard when it's mm-hmm. you get a young animal and you're yeah. thinking, you know, you have all these, you know, you're starting from scratch and you have all these years, you know, and then you f- come to find out they're sick or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's always really hard. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think especially when they got the two kittens together yeah, exactly. in that situation yeah. and then it was like, oh, great. You know, now the other one doesn't have a buddy yeah. and it, uh, it and was I know just they hard. were so worried about the other one, about how he was going to react when they didn't have them. And yeah. even just every little thing for a while, anytime, you know, he had a little bit of a cough or a sneeze or something like that, I was getting phone calls and talking to them and making sure that the other one wasn't going to have any issues because they were so worried because they did just go through this. I mean, it's kind of traumatic. You get these two kittens. Just to yeah. find out, you know, a month or two later that one of them is extremely sick. So they were very careful about the other kitten for a long time, trying to make sure that he was healthy and everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And that because I had a couple conversations, I'm like, you're not overreacting. 
I understand where you're coming from. I'm happy to talk to you about this and, you know, help calm any fears that you have because you did go through a lot with the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like my last couple FIPU cases have been awful where like the owner, like one of them, they had just euthanized their like 19-year-old or 20-year-old cat and then they go to the shelter and get a new cat. Yeah. And then like three months later, that was the diagnosis. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like what are the chances? Right. And then and then yeah, Becca's case followed. And I mean it was just like And there's no there's uh, no way because I can hear people's brains turning at home, you know, when they hear this, you know, they go to the shelter and get a cat. There's no way to know that the cat no. doesn't have FIP. That's the hard no. part. I and mean, so many of them, like that you're testing for um Oh, like most of the time we're testing for like leukemia, AIDS, and toxo if you're doing that one panel that mm-hmm. has the corona on there. And it's like they're almost always positive, you know, whether it's from like previous vaccine, previous exposure. Um, so like there's just no way to to know when you're picking out a kiddo if they're going to have an issue or not. Yeah. Yeah, it does just suck. all right we got to come up with a the the three words for the fip yeah Yeah. oh gosh all right well hopefully that information is helpful and if you guys have any other questions in regards to that virus don't hesitate to reach out um thank you so much for listening and turning into another episode of the veterinary roundtable remember send in those questions and be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at all-star veterinary clinic if you enjoyed this episode or previous episode please leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice. We'll see you in a few weeks for the next episode of the Veterinary Roundtable. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you next time.